And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to his cross. And that's what I said after I got done with this. Uh, choking through the, through the emotions. I mean, this, the, the, I'm talking about the first time I ever read this. And the emotions welled up and I managed to choke through and say, Praise God, I'm forgiven. Praise God, I'm forgiven. Now, a few years ago, several years ago, Patty and I were in Florida. It was in, in the wintertime and it's always nice. But we were on the beach just kind of sitting, sitting on the beach enjoying the sunny day and the warmth. And we... Up the beach, we saw this fellow jogging. He was running down right by the water's edge where the sand is a little more firm. And he's running along, and he's in shorts and a T-shirt. And it just kind of caught, he kind of caught our eye. And as he came along and then passed us, there, we noticed there was something written on the back of his T-shirt. And in big, bold letters, it said, Thank God I'm forgiven. What a testimony. I wanted to catch up to him and talk to him, but he was going too fast, you know. He was gone before. So, um, thank God I'm forgiven. And uh, what a testimony. I mean, I'm sure that, that uh, helped him to gain a lot of uh, witness opportunities along the way. It was big, large letters, as big as you could get on there. And uh, that was wonderful. Now, um, I'd like to camp out in this passage we've just read a little bit and just point out some things. Um, in verse 9 again, In Him, that's Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He was God in man's body, 100% God and 100% man. And all the fullness of the Godhead was in Him. And in verse 10, I underlined, the statement here that you are complete in Him. When you're in Christ, you need nothing else. There's nothing else you need. And verse 11 says, In Him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. No longer was, the, was it physical circumcision, which, which was symbolic of what eventually we would see here in the New Covenant, but which did nothing for them, um, but was, as I said, symbolic of the circumcision made without hands. The, he performed an operation on you and my, your and my hearts, cutting away the unprofitable fleshly attributes and implanting his righteousness. I mean, it, it just, this is so descriptive. Of, I, I don't know what, what I would have done once I read this if this hadn't been there. Um, and then verse 12, buried with him in baptism. And this baptism is, in this case, is dry as a bone. This is not water baptism. We use water to symbolize this. So I'm not de uh, uh, degrading that by any means, but this is as dry as a bone. Buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God 
who raised him from the dead. Now, that last statement, who raised him from the dead, we want to make sure that we understand that Jesus Christ did not lay in that tomb helpless to come alive again, waiting for God to, to raise him, although God did raise him. But to emphasize the, uh, the fact that, that Jesus Christ is fully God himself in the flesh, I always take you, I, I've mentioned this, this verse to you many times, it's in John chapter 10, Jesus said, I have power to lay my life down and I have power to take it up again. And the fact that this said, says God raised him from the dead, Jesus Christ is God because he had power to take his life up again. And verse 13 says, And being dead in your trespasses. We weren't just sick. Uh, it wasn't just a bad cold. We were dead in sins and trespasses. And the, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him. You know, we're looking for a resurrection to come, are we not? We're looking for that trumpet to blow. Do you know you've already had one? If you're here this morning and you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've already had a resurrection from death unto life. You being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you some trespasses. Is that what that says? All of them. And you know, we're not going to turn here, but in Philippians chapter 3, you're familiar with this, Paul said, don't wallow in those past things. Let it go. You don't want to live there. You, got, you want to live as forgiven people. And all trespasses have been forgiven. Verse 14, he's wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. He sponged it out. It's gone. Sponged it out, which was contrary to us, and has he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to his cross. As the song that uh, Nick and the folks sang a moment ago said, uh, we are forgiven, he is condemned. He took it all. You know, if you commit a crime and you have to go to court and they send you to prison, um, you still suffer the condemnation for that. Not only for the time you're in prison, but for the rest of your life. Because you were condemned for that crime. But for the crimes we've committed once in Christ... He's condemned. He took all the condemnation. So we want to be careful we don't continue to condemn ourselves. I mean, it's hard. I know we, we, we tend to do that uh, from time to time. We want to live victorious lives in Christ. And praise God, he was condemned and took all that condemnation for us. Now, what we've just read here in Colossians chapter 2 um, I'm assuming that everyone here knows Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But just in case, I just want to mention that this is not blanket coverage. This is not blanket coverage. You have to have come to repentance, repentance of your sins and called upon God to save you and accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Um, uh, John 1, 12, that's going to be up here on the screen. John chapter 1 and verse 12. 
says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So I, I just want to, I didn't want to pass uh, that up uh, and assume, make assumptions that uh, maybe I shouldn't make there. <clears throat> okay, now what does the word forgive or forgiven mean? Now, there's a, a rather uh, a well-known phrase that we use to express it. We say forgiving is forgetting. And you know, that's not quite it. It's not quite there, but it's pretty good. I like it. I mean, and I think when I'm through explaining to you what it really, what the fullness of the meaning is, you'll agree that, that the phrase forgiving is forgetting is pretty good. What it really means is to render the guilty person blameless. To render, to be forgiven or to forgive means to render the guilty person blameless. Sort of like justification, isn't it? Justification, we say, just as though I've never sinned. And that's what it's like to be forgiven, to render the guilty person blameless. Now, how blameless is blameless and how forgotten is forgotten? I want to look, take you to a couple of, of examples here. Uh, the first one being Abraham and Sarah. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11 with me. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. And we want to look at this from God's perspective. We want to look at the fullness of forgiveness from God's perspective. We want to take a glimpse into his heart and how he views people whom he has forgiven. Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 12. This is the Hall of Faith chapter, of course. Beginning in verse 8, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs of him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Now, pay attention as we get into these next couple of verses. Verse 11, By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who, has, who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky and multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Now let's back up one verse to verse 11 again. It says, By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Wait a minute. That's not the way I remember it from the book of Genesis. How about you? What did Sarah do when, when, when she received this news? She laughed. Abraham did too, right? Amen? And they, were, they just had no faith because he was 100 and she was 90 that God could pull this off. And of course, we know our, in our New Testament it says with, with God all things are possible. And Abraham did not 
possess the faith either because Abraham and Sarah cooked up a scheme in order to solve this problem of having the child that God said they would have. And uh, Sarah said, here, take my handmaid Hagar. And so Hagar bore Ishmael. And as much as they tried to get God's acceptance of Ishmael as he grew up, God refused and said, no, in Isaac shall thy seed be. Do you know it took, from the time uh, that Hagar bore Ishmael, it took 14 years for Abraham and Sarah to develop the faith to do it the way God said before Isaac was born. There's 14 years between Ishmael and Isaac. But here, it, they show up in the hall of faith, and verse 11 says, By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who has promised. And in the margin you might want to write, Eventually she judged him faithful, Right? But notice it's in the hall of faith. There's no mention of the deal with Ishmael. No mention whatsoever. It's forgotten. Right? It's been expunged. It's been erased. There's no reminder here of that. The Holy Spirit is not going to do that. Forgiven. Absolutely gone. Isn't it nice that when we stumble and disappoint God and, and feel like Peter did when he denied him three times. That God says, all right, you blew it, but listen, it's done, let's move on. Isn't it nice that when Jezebel threatened Elijah's life in, in 1 Kings chapter 19 and he ran for his life, completely out of God's will, and God, finally, when God caught up to God, just let him go and let him, let him uh, uh, take care of his problem in his own way. And then God finally spoke to him and said, did I, send, did I tell you to come here? And then he gave him his marching orders of what he wanted him to do next. It was forgotten. It was done. So in God's mind, we move on. So we have to adopt that. We have to adopt that mentality. All right, now, I want you to look at another example of, of how um, a, a person is the proof that from God's perspective we are rendered blameless. Um, turn to Acts chapter 22. Acts chapter 22. And while you're turning there, you remember the story of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. How he was martyred. He preached to the Sanhedrin so effectively that it just cut them to the heart. And their response, instead of repentance, was to stone him to death. And Saul, who was shortly to become Paul, stood by in agreement with that stoning. So now here later on in Acts chapter 22, after, after Saul's conversion, he's recounting that event. He, he, he's in Jerusalem and he has an angry mob at his hands. 
And he's going to tell the Lord about this event again and remind God of what he had done. And we want to see the Lord's response. So in verse 18 of Acts 22, verse 18, says, Paul says, Now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by consenting to his death. And and in other words, he was in agreement with the stoning and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Now, did the Lord turn around and say to him, yeah, you rascal, you certainly did that. And that was an awful thing you did back then. No, let's see what the Lord says to him in verse 21. Then he said to me, depart for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. The Lord uttered not one word in acknowledging that the horrible things that Paul did when he was Saul. Not a single word. Just like he did with Elijah. Elijah, here's your new assignment. Now let's get going. It's all forgotten. It's all past. What a wonderful thing to be redeemed. What a wonderful thing to be forgiven. It's been expunged. All right, now, we're at a point here in our discussion where, uh, where, where, where the rubber kind of meets the road here. And something more about this that we have to talk about. Seeing that we are forgiven people, it's incumbent upon us to be forgiving people. See, we can't just enjoy this forgiveness in a vacuum and, and, uh, and condemn everybody else. Forgiven people must be forgiving people. Now, Christ forgave us, not only provided for the, the provision, made the provision for our forgiveness, but forgave us in Him when we received Him as Lord and Savior, and we are to be like Him. Correct? It's gone. Indeed, Romans 8.29 says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. So if we're going to be conformed to the image of his Son, who was a forgiving Savior, we must be forgiving people. All right? Um, in Luke chapter 6, verse 37, it says this. Luke says this, Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Now, I just want to, before we home in on the forgiving part there, I just want to mention that, that first phrase, judge not and you shall not be judged. He's talking here about condemning a person for who they are, what they are, what they look like, how they part their hair, what kind of car they drive, those, their personality, those kind of things. That's what he's talking about. Uh, condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. But we want to make sure we understand that we are to judge sin. But there's a difference, and here's the difference I want to point out to you. The judge not he's talking about here is a condemning judgment. Notice the next statement says, condemn not. 
Judging sin is a compassionate judgment. When you see your brother sinning, and in your heart you want to see him restored, it's a compassionate judgment, or compassionate observation, if you want to put it that way. Um, Luke chapter 17, verses 3 and 4 say this, Take heed to yourselves... If your brother sins against you, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. So helping your errant brother see his sin so that he can repent is really an act of love. The, the judge not in Luke 6 that we just looked at is not an act of love. That's an act of condemnation. So they're really completely different things. <clears throat> but helping your brother to, to see his sin so he can be, uh, become freed of it um, is a, an act of love. And uh, in James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, we see that. It says there, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. So we want to make sure we make that differentiation. <clears throat> so he said, forgive and you will be forgiven in the, in the last part of that previous verse in Luke. And it's about adopting the forgiving spirit of our Heavenly Father. Now, if you'll turn to Matthew chapter 18, Matthew chapter 18, Peter had a little problem here concerning this forgiveness. That he, he had questions. I wouldn't say it's a problem. I would say he, he had questions. The early part, earlier part of Matthew chapter 18 is, is about the handling offenses and, and how that can be taken care of. And uh, when Peter heard that, he had some questions. And beginning in Matthew 18, verse 21. Matthew 18, 21. It says, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall I, my, my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? You know, I can see Peter thinking here. Uh, seven, seven. Yeah, that's that wonderful number, that biblical number that's of perfection and completion. So I'll throw that out at the Lord and see if that'll work, right? Verse 22, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Now, if you do the multiplications, that, that's 490 times. And of course, what he's saying is here, don't even bother to keep count. It doesn't matter how many times. Um... If you're trying to count 400, up to 490 before you, 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 know, you cold conk him upside the head, um, you'll lose count along the way. So um, it, it's, it's, it's infinite. Verse 23, now he gives him a, a parable here so he'll understand exactly where he's coming from. Beginning in verse 23, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now this 10,000 talents is an infinite number. It's, it's riches beyond even the national debt in this country. 
by comparison. He owed him that much. Verse 25, but as he was not able to pay, his master commanded, him, commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. You know, compassion is an integral part of the forgiving process. You must have compassion because you know what? Your brother may have sinned, your sister may have sinned, but it's going to happen to you somewhere along the line, and you're going to want that forgiveness. And you're going to want that compassion. So this man have, was moved with compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. Verse 28, But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now that's a pittance compared to the thousand talents. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his, servant, his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. Verse 31, So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. So I'm sure I, I can see Peter soaking this in and, uh, and, and, and getting the essence of it as the Lord uh, uh, spoke this parable. Now, in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 30 through 32, it says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Now, it may require Matthew 18, it may require Galatians 6, 1, uh, or it may not require any of those. It could be just something that irks you about them. You must be forgiving. Maybe it's nothing that needs to be talked about, but you must be forgiving. We must forgive one another. You know, there's, a, um, there's something that happens when a group of people get together and get to know each other. And that certainly is the case with a church, where we, we eventually get to know each other. And it's this, and it's an expression, it's a saying that I'm sure you're all familiar with. Familiarity breeds contempt. Familiarity breeds contempt. Sooner or later we find out that we've got issues. That that other person has issues. You know, when God saved us and put us together, I mean, we're a ragtag bunch of misfits. I mean, let's face it. Let's just get down to it. We're just a bunch of misfits. And Scripture tells us that. 
You know, we're not wise and we're not rich and, you know, we're not from that, that group of people. Uh, we, we stumble around. We're, we're, we're just, we're not perfect people. And as we get to know each other, we get to see those flaws. And God knows they're there. And he'll work on the ones that are important for him to work on. So, you know, some aren't important for him to work on. So they're not sinful things. They're just little quirks that we have. And he may not have any issue with those. So we don't need to have issue with them. But familiarity does breed contempt, and we have to watch out for that. And Scripture admonishes us to be careful about this. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, Therefore, the prisoner, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love. You know that bear, you know what he's saying with that bearing with one another? He's saying, put up with each other. You gotta put up with each other. Now, if you've been offended, you gotta go to Matthew eighteen. To get it resolved. Or if you see a brother in, in just stumbling over chronic sin, over habitual sin, you've got to go with Galatians 6.1 and go and talk to him. Try to restore them. It's an act of love, as we've already talked about. But if it's just a quirk uh, or something in the past and you're holding a grudge, nasty stuff, folks, to hold a grudge. You know, the more you nurse a grudge, it's not going to get any better. You can nurse a grudge all you want to. It's not going to get any better. You've got to take care of it, and you've got to resolve it. You've got to, in most cases, you've just got to let it go. And also in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. You know, um, Paul stumbled over this. He went out on the mission field with John Mark, a fellow named John Mark. And you'll recall that from the book of Acts. Went out with Barnabas and John, John Mark tagged along. Now this John Mark is the one who wrote the second gospel. So he's no schlep, this guy. You know, he's, he went out on the mission field, and you remember, he departed at a certain point. He left the field and left Paul and Barnabas on their own. And... Um, If you'll turn to um, Acts chapter 13 with me. Acts chapter 13. And this is a grudge issue. This is really a grudge issue that we're looking at here. And Paul had to get over it. Acts chapter 13 and verse 13. Now when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, that's John Mark, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. 
Now turn to Acts chapter 15. We'll pick it up with verse 36. Acts 15, verse 36. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go. So it's been a while later now. He said, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of, of the Lord and see how they're doing. So the mission trip is over. And now he's saying, let's go back and visit the churches. Verse 37, now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them Mark. Uh, take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention between became so sharp that they parted from one another. Paul and Barnabas argued over this. Barnabas said, Barnabas knew he was profitable. See, and that's the problem Paul had when, when John Mark departed and left the field at Pamphylia. Paul was miffed because John Mark was profitable for him. And now he had lost the profit of having him there. But Barnabas knew he was profitable, and Barnabas accepted the fact that that's apparently what the Lord wanted John Mark to do at that point in time. Perhaps during that period of time, the Lord gave him that second gospel. We don't know, but he had something else for him to do. And he is perfectly at liberty to do that. But Paul uh, took issue with it. So Paul and Barnabas had quite a spat over this. Verse 39 uh, says, And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. So Paul just let this fester. He just let it fester. And he just carried it with him. And he carried it with him. Sometime later, he wrote a second epistle to Timothy. And if, you, if you'll turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4 with me, Second Timothy chapter 4, he finally repents concerning his Ill, Ill feeling for John Mark. First, Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 9, Paul says, Be diligent to come to me quickly, speaking to Timothy, Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. Crescens went to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Verse 11, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for the ministry. He's finally got... He, so see, that's why he was upset when he left, because he was profitable. All right, so we must be forgiving people. There was no Matthew 18 required here. There was no Galatians 6.1 required here. Just Paul had to get over sucking his thumb. Basically, that, that was, what, what, was what was going on. And how often do we do that? You know, that's a good question to ask. All right, so... In Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, I know you'll remember, uh, you're familiar with this, uh, these two verses. It says, the Lord says, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, 
Leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Now, I wouldn't worry too much about this gift to the altar thing, as much as, as um, you know, the Lord always spoke in parables. This could be literal, of course, but what he's trying to say is, whatever you're doing in service for the Lord, your comings and your goings as you serve the Lord, if in the back of your mind you know that there's this issue that your brother has with you or possibly that you have with him or her, stop what you're doing. Leave your gift at the altar. Stop what you're doing and go get it taken care of. You can't let it fester anymore. You can't let it continue. Um, I, I don't know where you stand with regard to this issue. Uh, and if there's anything in your life that, that is reflective of what we've been talking about. But you know, you're not going to be happy in your walk with God. You're not going to be a contented Christian it's going to fester and it's going to nag you. The Lord's going to see to that until it gets taken care of. Because you just can't harbor this. You just can't let it go. Whether it's simply a grudge, as Paul had with John Mark, or whether it's uh, uh, someone has actually offended you personally and you need to go to them, or someone is sinning that you've noticed and you need to go to them about that to try to restore them. You can't let it fester. You can't let it go there. In the Beatitudes, the Lord tells us to be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. So if that's become a problem for you, uh, I would exhort you to take care of it. Don't let it go another day. And uh, as quickly as possible. If the, if the person has gone out of, out of the area, get on the phone. You've got to do something and take care of it. Father, um, let's close in prayer. Father, we uh, 